we're back here on the Stats War Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and we've got Grant McGalliard with me as always. Grant, how's it going? Uh, it's going great, Parker. How about yourself? Doing well. Frogs, frogs got a win, as yep. I was uh, thoroughly reminded on Saturday that the Frogs did in fact win, uh, despite some performance issues. Man, that offense was uh, great, didn't it, Parker? Look, we had 500 total yards, Grant. Stats don't lie. Um, that seriously is probably the only time I've actually ever gotten like targeted. Not, it wasn't like targeted. Hey, I'm not. I'm not a vulnerable person. I'm not a. I'm not in a position. But I, I got targeted hate on Twitter on Saturday of people just like, what is this guy even talking about? Give it a rest. All this nonsense. So people were mad uh, pretty online, pretty fun. I'd say. I was. People were mad online. Mad online at me. But all that to say, TCU. Um, tries to run out the clock. They don't, and they get really lucky with a fumble, come away with a two-point win in Lubbock, which, honestly, a, pl- a positive in Lubbock is uh, is about all you can ask for. TCU is... Um, well, kind they, of. They, I mean, the road team has won the last, I think, five matchups in that series. That's where I was going. I had a stat in my yeah. mind, and then I got stuck, and then that's, that was a stat. So we'll dive deep into that, uh, but I think I think you wanted to talk about something first before, before we go. Oh. One of my favorite things in the world, um, and it's very petty, and I'm sure it's not a good reflection on me as a person, is to browse the forums for the University of Texas and Texas A&M. That would be Orange Bloods and Tex Ags, respectively. I went on Orange Bloods after Texas's loss to Iowa State, um, and I think this was actually sent to me um, by one of the random group chats that I'm in, but this is a post on Orange Bloods titled "All Right, I'll effing say it." <clears throat> this a is great way to start a, a great way to start a post, right? Right, right. And this is in regards <laughs> to replacing Tom Herman, which is a funny sentence in and of itself. Why not Lincoln Riley? Dude is a proven commodity. Plus, it hurts OU, and that is never a bad thing. And Parker, to that I ask, why not the ghost of Bear Bryant? It hurts Alabama, Honestly, and that's never a bad thing. If you're going back, uh, the last time that okay, first off, first off, the last time that Iowa State beat Texas was 2015. Yeah. So Texas had some really bad teams, and Iowa State's had some really good teams, and Texas still beat them. So it's hilarious to see like the outrage over like, hey, you finally lost to someone you probably should have lost to three out of the last four years, and they finally beat you this year uh, when your defense is literally the walking wounded. Um. So that in itself is funny. Also, th- here's here's my theorem. You know, there's like those theorems about stuff online that like if uh, if an argument goes on long enough online, someone will call someone Hitler. Yes. Like that's like a rule. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's exactly, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's, uh, one God of those rules, law, right? Or uh, something like that. God yes, law. Goddard's law. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's what it is. And so I think there's like a college football Goddard's law that's like imagine the frontier, like the furthest out you can go in disillusionment in college football. And there is always someone past that frontier. Right. Like you, it, the, the, the limit does not exist, if you will, of how insane college football fans are, especially in Power 5 major programs. Because that was written in earnest. That guy was probably six beers in. That's fine. We've all been there. But in earnest, he thought, all right, here's what we need to do. We need to hire Lincoln Riley away from Oklahoma. Look, if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, great. That's what, like He should have posted that on... Dallas Cowboys, whatever they're estimating, uh, blogging the boys, uh, our estimation yeah, yeah. That's a great comment for him on that website. On Orange Bloods, man, I think you're overreaching. I don't really that's think hilarious. you thought that um, Yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Uh, 
the okay so that that kind of segues this is into texas this weekend because i want to talk about that before that i want to plug and just ask you have you heard a have you heard dan rubenstein of the solid verbals his um his sports wars podcast no i love dan i haven't heard the podcast yeah he's got this really great thing because he's like a full-time podcaster and and so he has one and he did he just does all these different rivalries and talks about the stories and all that and he did one of the the red river rivalry um that was like three hours long i think so it's three one hour installments and i learned so many things i did not know mac brown was like at ou i didn't know that uh there was like literally a shootout at the texas border you know i'm not a native texan so i just kind of culturally inherited this but really informative so uh Again, Big 12 plug. I guess that's more of an off-season thing, but uh, it made me think of it. Let's pivot because I want to talk about Texas as well for a second because there's a weird there's a weird game coming up this weekend. Uh, Texas plays Baylor. It's basically an elimination game for Big 12 title, although I think I think Texas is probably already on the outside looking in. Um, there's some Big 12 title ramifications. I haven't looked at all the possibilities. I, I, I think I'm pretty sure Texas is eliminated from the Big 12. Unless things get real, no, because they've lost to Oklahoma and Baylor both. And right. So yeah, Texas. No, they haven't. They haven't lost. That's what it is. They haven't lost to Baylor yet. Oh, that's right. But they have lost. So to, I, they have lost to Iowa State. So either way, they're not getting yes. in the Big Twelve title game. Texas okay, so they can't go. Yeah. So then that clarifies a little bit because I thought I thought I wanted to have a a, a potentially uncomfortable discussion sure. about who does who does a TCU fan root for right. this weekend Texas Baylor. Well, here's the it thing. hasn't been it hasn't been a, a, an issue the last couple of years. It hasn't. Um, <clears throat> so I'll I'll ditch my objective journalist hat that I pretend to put on every now and then. So as a TCU <laughs> fan, obviously you know you you kind of pull against Baylor, you kind of pull against Texas. Um, I grew up in Texas. I actually grew up disliking Texas from the start because they stole Matt Brown from my beloved North Carolina Tar Heels. Um, and I grew up around a lot of UT fans. In games like this where there are two opponents that, let's say, you necessarily don't like, uh, I think you pull for the funniest possible outcome. So <laughs> while Baylor not – somehow Texas not I – don't, I don't think Texas winning would keep Baylor out of the Big 12 championship game. But Baylor beating Texas – and just adding another loss to Texas's schedule in which they were supposed to be back, they were supposed to be, you know, a college football playoff contender. That's funny. So yeah. I think if you're a TCU fan, I'm not going to say you, you have to pull for Baylor, but I think that's the funniest possible outcome if, if that's what you're looking for. I agree. And let's, let's move and talk about TCU. So all I'll add is one thing on this. Thank God that it's not an election year with all of the uh, online outrage we've seen with Texas not being back. If we're already, if it's the third week of November and we're already at hire your rival's head coach away, um, man, just, yeah, I'm glad it's not an election year. (laughs) Now you're making me mad. Imagine the arrogance, like, if you're a Michigan fan, right, and let's say you're disillusioned with Jim Harbaugh, and and let's say say this is last year. Are are you on MGoBlog? Like, all right, I'll effing say it. Urban Meyer, you know, it'll hurt OSU, you know, and he's a good coach. It's best of both worlds. I just can't I, imagine yes. another program saying that. I will say, again, the, the, the Parker rule of college football internet, that person exists. You're right. You can't imagine that that person. Is, um, also, close friends with a couple of Michigan fans. Uh, the I have a couple of text messages that say, F it, hire Meyer. Uh, from this season. <laughs> He's available yes. now. I mean, I'm just right. saying, like, last right. year. But like, even that is like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, pretty pretty funny. 
Okay, let's uh, let's let's pivot. Let's talk about Texas Tech. We could I, I could laugh at Texas fans online for a very long time. Uh-huh. Um, so TCU Texas Tech, a pretty weird game. TCU comes away with the win, thirty three thirty one. Like you said, fifth year in a row. I think the road team has won, which a good. We talked about it being a what the hell series. Um, and the big stat: TCU five hundred forty nine total yards to Texas Tech's four hundred two total yards, which is the first true Big 12 game. I feel like TCU's won in a very long time, like the old school Big 12 game. Um, but let's let's dive into this, Grant. What were your kind of takeaways? What were your perceptions about this game? Uh, walk me through it. Yeah, I'll, I'll go one on offense and one on defense. Um, and I'm sure you have stats to back this up, but even a layman like me could tell that TCU's offense really bogged out in the red zone. Um, a lot of these yards were kind of empty. TCU made six true trips to the red zone. They technically made a seventh, but that was when they were kneeling the clock out, um, so I'm not going to count that. There were six of six on those trips. Four of those trips ended in field goals. John, credit to Jonathan Song. Um, the guy's been super reliant this year. He knocked down all his field goals. He's the reason TCU won this game, technically. But TCU's offense did not look good in the red zone, and I'm sure you have more analysis on that, but that was the big takeaway for me on offense. On defense, Jeff Gladney getting ejected. A is going oh, to what are you be doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be really, really difficult this week upcoming, and we'll talk about that. But even against Texas Tech, who has a decent offense, and Jet Dub is a decent quarterback, and he has some weapons, but you didn't expect to see it go south so quickly. The play after he got hurt, Tech picked on his side on his replacement and scored a touchdown. And yep. a couple drives later, they had another big play through the passing game. And Gladney's been the one constant on that defense. Without him, the communication just isn't there. It was already yep. on the it, ropes. They've talked about it all season. And with him gone, you saw it go south really quickly. And yep. I, again, uh, I, TCU won that game. They did. We make fun of it. They did have. A, they did at least move the ball. But I hate to focus on the negatives. But man, alive, there were a couple that you just kind of point to where that's not going to fly against Oklahoma. You know. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I'll, I think I think I'll say a couple things there. Um, one, uh, talking about success in the red zone. So um, I did I did banter with some people on Twitter, and this is more just housekeeping you and me, but the people will hear it. This off season, I don't know what that looks like. We'll talk about it, but we should do an interview where we talk about why total yards is actually bad because like if you don't score, it doesn't matter. You could you could march 99 yards down the field every time, kick the field goal and all that. So we'll talk about that. Um, two, uh, I saw a, a lot of people, and I thought this myself, TCU got called for a pick play. It was it was a pick play. It absolutely he he. I think it was Tay Barber set a pick. Um, I want that to be called. It was annoying because Texas Tech had had one pretty substantially earlier, that um, 51-yard touchdown that shouldn't have been a touchdown because it was a pick play. They didn't have it called, so that was annoying. But even if you credit TCU's offense for that, um, they still didn't do enough to separate themselves. Texas Tech still had the ball in a one-score game, and they needed a fumble to uh, to win. So, yeah, that 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 finishing drives is is pretty rough. Um, I looked at, on the season, TCU in the red zone and out of the red zone um, because I, you and I texted about how, um, in the press conference, Patterson was talking about running in the red zone. TCU's offense averages plus .03 EPA outside of the red zone. So, expected points added, slightly positive. Inside the resident red zone... This number is ridiculous. Negative 0.25. Is that bad? A quarter of a point worse. That is probably the worst offense 
in the in the not not only in the Big Twelve, but in in the Power Five, uh, if not if not in the country, in the red zone, um, really really bad, just stalls out. And so you that that brings us, you know, we're looking forward this week, but you have to score, you have to score in the red zone, and you have to score touchdowns more than you score field goals. So even if even if TCU had scored a touchdown on that one play, um, are you hanging your hat on that? Are you hanging your hat on three times you get inside there? Uh, TCU, TCU had drives. I wrote this down too. TCU had first down inside the 35 six times. Mm -hmm. And they came away with, I want to get this right. Where'd it go? Oh, shoot. I thought I had it up. They 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 came away with I think you said it they came away with field goals on four of those yeah um that's that's insane oh, yeah. and uh, their offense basically was four drives yesterday uh, on their first four drives they scored twenty four points they had two hundred fifty four yards which was forty six point three percent of their yards mm-hmm. um, and that basically includes a big play which we'll, I think we'll talk about here at the end um, and then the rest of the game they had nine points and two hundred ninety five yards on twelve drives so. Uh, almost half of their yards came on four four of their sixteen drives. Yeah, no, uh, you're 100 yeah. percent right. I, I mean, I, and that was the frustrating part because there there were big plays. Duggan found Jalen Rager on a just a beautiful post route. I mean, you could watch that was that what play we want to see. Day. Oh my gosh, that was beautiful. Uh, Tay Barber, incredible game. I mean, he kind of had you know a coming out party with that catch against Texas, but this was really his best game of the season. Played incredible. Duggan mm-hmm. was kind of making up for a lot of mistakes the offensive line made. He was scrambling. He looked good. The offense moved the ball in the open field, but Parker, you're right. When they get to the red zone, they just stall, and it's 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 tough to watch. And, yep. and, and, and look, I'm sure you have more stats on this, but even the eye test, they have plays where they can score, and I know teams have this on film. They can't just run the same plays every time. That's like saying, "Why don't you make the entire plane out of the, you know, you know, the black box or whatever?" But the little that's pop my entire point. To, but uh, to Ar- Ar- Artavius Lynn for the four-yard touchdown that was beautiful. So nice, so so nice. We talked about the speed option they ran against Oklahoma State. Perfect. Break that out. Yep. And there's just so much potential that just it seems like TCU doesn't realize in a lot of scenarios. I um I honestly kind of well, so so um Max Duggan QBR uh, EPA based stat right seventy five point five point uh, seven so uh, fifty is average well above average the problem is you don't get points for yards in the middle of the field doesn't count um, and so so red zone troubles for sure mm-hmm. um back to, back to the play calling I thought about this week remember I think it was in the first drive against Baylor they lined Tay Barber up in the backfield and they lined Shaywo in the backfield they play fake to Shaywo threw back across the field to Tay Barber on a on a little tunnel screen, and he was gone. Yep. Uh, and he, I think he got 14 yards on that play. It was awesome. Um, and I kept waiting for something like that to happen. And I, I wonder if that wasn't in the playbook against Texas Tech, especially because you're trying to isolate Brooks and Douglas. Right. Um, and say, like, let's see if we can just make them make a decision and see what we get. But the offensive line just fell apart. And what's weird is it fell apart when Jordan Brooks yeah. got hurt and came out of the game. Jordan Brooks one of, if not the best linebacker in the country that TCU was afraid of, did not play three quarters of that game. Yeah, and Pat um, talked about that on Monday, and the way he termed it was that Tech adjusted the blitz. Mm-hmm. I'm not smart enough to know what that means, but whatever adjustment they made spelled doom for the TCU offensive line. I think we texted during the game, the announcer made some statement like, well, TCU's offensive line has played pretty well today. And I was taken aback because <laughs> yeah. I, 
you know, again, not to put blame on these kids or anything like that, but Duggan was running for his life in a lot of scenarios. And, and Patterson mm-hmm. said that on Monday that Duggan bailed him out of a lot of times where the blitz came through and he just made some magic happen. And it, it looked bad at times. Parker, I mean, and that was yep. especially in the third quarter when, you know, TCU didn't score a point in the third quarter. They kind of looked hapless. Um, and they just had no answer for whatever adjustment Tech made. TCU does not know how to stop it. Yeah, which is um, which is crazy because that that basically took away play action because it was so so slow developing we couldn't run anything. So um, yeah, I'm less on I'm less on the I'm less on that. This is entirely Sonny Cumbie's fault because sure. he did, he planned a bad game, and more on the man we did not make an adjustment that felt like it needed to be made, and that really hamstrung us. Which so positives to take away from, but yeah, that was a little yeah. scary to see uh, the blitz was not there, right? Or the, and, the, the and, yeah the the rush or the Pass block was yeah, not there. and maybe credit to Cumby. I mean, because off the start of the game, TCU looked great. They couldn't make a mistake. I mean, 17 points mm. in the first quarter, 10 in the second. Uh, whatever the game plan was coming in, they executed, and it was really, really well schemed. Can I be the devil's advocate? Oh, of course I can. Sure, I'm always going to do this. Okay. Here's here's Debbie Downer Parker. Sorry. Uh, TCU's first touchdown drive. Needed a Duggan scramble on third and six and third and nine. Okay, yeah. To survive. The second touchdown drive was third and 12, I believe. I'm probably wrong on that. Whatever. It was third and passing down. Duggan chucks it down the field. He puts it where Barber can get it. That's sure. But the Texas Tech defender touched it, and Barber makes an amazing catch. Third and five. That's not a good game. such a naysayer. Okay, third and five. Sorry. Still a passing down. Um, Third and five. Still required the Texas Tech player tipped it, like still required Herculean effort by Barber. That's not game plan. Um, and then they had an interception and got the ball inside the 50, and they only kicked field goal. They had first down inside the 50, and they only kicked field goal. So um, there were signs that there were cracks in the offensive foundation to start the game. Oh, yeah. um, but they were able to overcome that with individual effort because the talent disparity, I think, was there. Well, and yeah, and you um, mentioned that drive where TC could the field goal after Wyatt Harris picked off that pass. By the way, credit to Ardarius Washington. I want to give him a shout-out at every opportunity I can. He kind of forced that tip that let Wyatt Harris pick that ball off. Um, Washington's going to be an absolute stud. I can't get enough of that kid. Yeah, he is. Um, but that drive, that was um, – the plays TC ran on second and third down from the Tech 19 were just two shots to the end zone, which I love shots to the end zone. Big fan of them. But yep. It seemed like early in the game, they could have tried to do something a little bit different. I don't know if that was Duggan, that was the read that he chose, whatever. I'm not smart enough to realize that. But it was basically two heaves to the end zone. And one mm-hmm. of them was almost caught, one of them was overthrown. But, yeah, the, the more you talk about that, the more I realize that there were some cracks and in I, the foundation. Of it. I don't want to be this guy, but I also don't want are. to be the starry-eyed, the starry-eyed little schoolgirl who's like, "Oh, we won, so everything's okay. Wins are good. That's fine." I'm not a TCU fan. Like, I mean, I am a TCU fan, but I'm not like a, I'm not just a, "Hey, let's tweet cool things about TCU." Like, I'm doing analysis. I want to analyze what happened. So sorry. Can we talk about something? Um, can we talk about what's good? Yeah, I just want to talk about Max Duggan. <laughs> oh yeah, oh dude, <laughs> because- the kid. What have we been yelling about all year? Let the kid play. We let him play. He's grown up. It's they trust so him good, more. Parker. He okay. He's gonna be awesome. And I'm gonna I'm gonna actually talk about just for a second. I think 
there's a strong argument to be made to keep Cumby on the staff just so there's no yeah, discontinuity with 100%. Duggan. Yeah, yep. we, we could talk about that a little bit more kind of in the offseason. But yes, yeah, I 100% agree. Like, give Cumby one more year to play with Duggan. Give Duggan some continuity. Duggan to Barber is going to be lethal. Man. Lethal. Yeah. Now, again, like I said, I want to be a starry-eyed schoolgirl, but Max Duggan is so good at playing quarterback. It's Dude, that's not even that's not even looking through purple-colored glasses. That is the objective truth. Um, the, the kid's awesome. Yeah, I think I said 75, uh, 75 EPA or uh, QBR, which is just about par for the course. He's about 25% better than average. Um, 323 yards, 7.7 yards per attempt, which is a little low, but, um, you know, a lot of those is depth of target issues. Um and uh, and two touchdowns, no interceptions. Continues to take care of the ball. TCU um, fumbled the ball once, but seventy-five rushing yards. Se- seventy-five rushing yards. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and and TCU took care of the ball, which is really really important. Um, that was kind of the you know I talked to I talked to Hunter Cook last week, and he watched a bunch of Texas Tech, being a Tex fan, and he was like, yeah, basically whoever scores first and then holds on to the ball is going to win this game, and. I thought he was wrong for a little bit there, but it turned out that he was he was right. Sure. TCU scored first and then just didn't do too much stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. They were bad, they just weren't stupid, and then Texas Tech made a mistake and TCU was able to win. So um, pretty pretty great. Yeah, I agree. Cool. <laughs> uh, closing closing thoughts on Texas Tech. Anything else you want to talk about before we take our first break and then move forward to Oklahoma? Oklahoma. Um, no, nothing too. Uh, insightful. I think it was a weird win, but I think TCU finally pulling out a one-score win is a good thing, uh, especially on a weird road environment in Lubbock. It was a good win. Yep. It was something that TCU needed. Now they can, not to ride off Oklahoma, but they know that if they beat West Virginia next week, they'll be bowl eligible. We'll put it that way. Right. Although, um, maybe we'll talk about it. We'll talk about this now. We'll West Virginia switched quarterbacks and beat Kansas State and looked kind of awesome. I know. Uh, they're not awesome. They're not. This is this is a dead cat bounce. That's fine. I understand that. Is it though? Uh, that, I think so. Neil Brown. I'm believing it is for now. He's not the best coach in the big, the best new coach in the Big 12 like we talked He's about. He's shifty. I thought with that roster, they were going they were going uh 0-6 to start. Yeah. Like I thought James Madison was going to come in and whoop their ass. So, um yeah, Neil Brown's a great coach. Every every game in the Big 12 is losable now. That's that's the state of the Yeah, that's fine. The state of the conference if you will. Um and then uh so I I think I do have one more thing about this game. Um the two long plays uh, for Texas Tech on passing, a lot of people were talking about the deep ball and the defense. 70 yards to R.J. Turner uh, was a touchdown. That was the one you mentioned right after Gladney mm-hmm. came out. They went right at Like, so smart. Matt Wells knows what he's doing. So smart. Um, the second one was to Ezukana, Ezukanma, yeah. maybe. Sorry if I mispronounced it. I, I definitely did. Um, 51 yards, and that was the pick play. That was the Texas Tech player ran the TC lineman over, into, or uh, defensive back over intentionally, and they scored. So that right there is 133 yards. Let me ask you something. If Jet Duffy has 200 passing yards instead of 333 passing yards, do you think anyone says anything about the defense at all? No. But No. No, but... <laughs> Not to be this guy, they did give up those plays. Like, I, you, well, the, so the first one was a pick play, play but, but right, right. Like, and then the second one, let's say that's random. Let's give them, let's give them, let's let's credit the TCU defense only sixty percent of that. And yeah, I can't do sixty percent of seventy right now. But still, it's one of those things where it's like forty. I don't know. I'm not. Maybe, I wasn't yeah. a math major. 
it's one of those you're like, look, hey, here's two random things, and then where they gave up other deep balls. Okay. Because twice more, Texas Tech had the first down inside the 20 and held the field goals. Ben, don't break is good defense. Okay, but you can't say, okay, well, that first one was good. Gladney was out. Okay, well, Gladney will be out in the first half against Oklahoma. So well, the it was the first. Gonna, they didn't, oh, it didn't happen again. It we'll was the first. Play. We'll talk about this when we get to Oklahoma. Uh, that's a great place for us to take a break. We'll be back in a second. Grant, let's look ahead at Oklahoma. So the Oklahoma Sooners are sixth overall in SP+. They're the first-ranked offense and the 43rd-ranked defense. TCU is the 31st team overall, according to SP+. 54th on offense, 32nd on defense. Classic TCU-OU matchup. We've got defense-heavy TCU versus offense-heavy Oklahoma. Yet again, the Sooners are coming off what I can confidently say is one of the more wild games. Um, they were down 28-3 to against Baylor, and then they just decided that Baylor would not be allowed to play offense in the second half, and OU scored a bunch of points and won, which is almost what happened against Kansas State earlier this season, except OU couldn't get that one last score to complete the comeback. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about, do uh, you have thoughts on OU-Baylor uh, OU first, and then we'll move to the, the matchup going forward. Yeah, my thoughts on OU-Baylor was that Baylor ran 16 plays in the second half. That's awesome. Those are my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, it, it was really weird. Like, I, I know you don't believe statistically in momentum, and I know momentum isn't really statistically quantifiable. But with all that being said, regardless, the first half was Baylor doing everything they possibly could to win that game. And they got all the breaks, they made all the plays, and the second half was regression to the mean. Baylor's defense stepped up, Jalen Hurts did Jalen Hurts things, and Baylor which was a team that wasn't necessarily... I want to make sure I phrase this right. Not at all a fraud team. Baylor is very good, and I still believe that. I think their 9-0 record did have a little bit of luck in it and that it probably should have been 8-1, 7-2, but still a very good team. That loss just popped up against Oklahoma on Saturday. I think the second half showed that Oklahoma was a better team, but it's not by... A wide margin. I think the final score line was great. How it happened was just absolutely wild. Yeah, I think uh, we have a question about the state of the Big 12 after the playoff rankings, and I don't care about the playoff rankings, so I don't know that we'll specifically answer that. But I will say the message I took away from this is that uh, the Big 12's best teams are supremely beatable. Mm-hmm. Um, very, well, very beatable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that was that was pretty crazy. I um, in my EPA stats. Baylor was a was one of the only teams in the Big 12 that was top four in offense, top four in defense. And after this game and the TCU game, Baylor's offense has fallen um, all the way down to sixth in EPA measures. Um, what I noticed specifically, though, from Bill Conley's advanced box score is that uh, Baylor had a great first quarter, 75% success rate uh 67% success rate excuse me fourth quarter third third quarter was 25% and third and fourth quarter was 33% success rate so it wasn't just that they couldn't like they just couldn't even move the ball at all so it's not only that they didn't get a lot of chances they just couldn't do anything anything with it um they ran 16 plays in two quarters parker yep 
That's that's just crazy. Um, Baylor had a ten a ten yard field position advantage. They had eight points of turnover luck um, against them, and so uh, that really is what it comes down to is is those turnovers there, which is just uh, you just. If you're a Baylor in that situation, you hope you get that lead and you can hang on right. against OU because you know the wave is coming and and they couldn't uh, they couldn't do that. So let's kind of transition that and look at um, look at TCU versus Oklahoma. That's going to be the Frogs' mo is maybe get up early and then hope your defense can hold off the storm, which is what happened to Texas Tech. And so I don't feel great about Texas Tech making a comeback right. uh, when I'm looking at playing in Norman on Saturday night. Well, there are two things there. One is that it's very hard to get up early against a team like OU that can score pretty much at will. TCU's defense is very good, but the Sooners are probably the... I don't, I don't know what your stats say. What, a top two offense in the country? Number number one, number according one. to SP+. Plus. Yep. Um, Suck it, LSU. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the one thing I will say, and this is just, uh, not to jump to this point, I mean, Jalen Hurts is very good. CeeDee Lamb didn't play against Baylor. Still extremely good. He'll probably be back for TCU. I don't necessarily know for sure. You mentioned turnover luck. Oklahoma has only intercepted five passes this season, which is crazy to me. Yeah. Um, Heck, uh, uh, Douglas for Texas Tech had eight on yeah, his own. Yeah, 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 like by himself. Charlie Brewer for Baylor made some really interesting decisions on that last drive. He tried to throw a pick to the same person twice, and Nick Benito kind of made him pay on the last drive. If at first you don't succeed, try Grant. Try again. And, try again. Uh, <laughs> turns out both Charlie Brewer and Nick Benito did. But – uh yeah, that's the only thing, and, and I'm jumping ahead here, but I do think TCU can score on Oklahoma's defense. The problem is that, man alive, I don't know if anyone can stop Oklahoma's offense. Yeah, um, it's that's, that's about the best way to put it. So OU is, um, yeah, sack-adjusted yards is, uh, second, er, is first in the offense in yards per play. Uh, seven yards per rush, 10.6 yards per pass. That's sack adjusted. They're averaging uh, a fourth of a play of... Uh, sorry, sorry. A, um, they're averaging almost a quarter of a point per play in terms of EPA. And in a pass, they're averaging 0.432 points per play on an early down. So they're increasing their value added on first and second down by almost a half a point in expectation every time they pass the ball. That is insane. Seems good, Parker. It is. It is very good. And you know what that doesn't account for that I, I got to work out with the data? That doesn't account for Jalen Hurts bailing and running 30 yards down the field. Which is one Because thing. those are passes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is one thing I want to point out. So against... I've watched some Oklahoma games this year, but I watched all of the Red River rivalry, which is a really tough three words to say in succession. But... um. <laughs> Against Texas, the Longhorns let Jalen Hurts do whatever he wanted running the ball. The linebackers were off the line of scrimmage. They dropped back in pass protection, and Hurts had eight yards in front of him whenever he broke the line of scrimmage. TCU has to do something to stop that. Garrett Wallow is extremely good. Whoever TCU winds up starting beside him, Lord only knows at this point, um, will have to compensate for that. I assume Hertz knows that he'll just run away from Wallow and try to pick on whatever other linebacker, but uh, that's what worries me is Hertz's scrambling ability because it's hard to quantify, but he is extremely good at it. 
Yep, and we and we saw what Brock Purdy, we saw yeah. hell what Skylar Thompson can yeah. do with the right play call and with the right circumstances. So TC's had some exposure to rushing quarterbacks. They've learned some lessons, I think. Um, you know, Gary Patterson talked about the blitz call and how he didn't like it, and and uh, the, the Kansas State game. And so maybe there's some opportunity there for TCU to show some improvements um, on on that. If you look at uh, I, I, you know, I do these opponent attendances charts mm-hmm. and they're hilarious because OU is just top 10 and everything. There's not a, right. there's not a weak point. Right. Um, the only weak point I see is they are the only thing they're not top 20 in, uh, top 15 in, in my numbers is EPA per play on standard downs inside the 35, which is a ridiculous number of qualifiers, but I had to do some digging to find a weak spot in Oklahoma's offense. So basically standard downs is when there's no obvious run pass tendency. Um, and so they're not as potent. Sure. Inside inside the 35. I don't think that means anything. OU's offense is ridiculous. They're in single digits in basically every category of success rate. Almost any way you can slice it on the field, their offense is going to make you pay. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Patterson which, basically put it... I mean, A, first off, Oklahoma has all the athletes at every position. Just an incredible roster, depth chart, mm-hmm. uh, five-star, four-star guys that can play against any team in the country. But Patterson said on Monday that kind of what makes him so successful is that Lincoln Riley works them around in interesting ways. He lines them up, he bunches them together, he spreads them out, and that's why he hurts teams is because he knows how to align his athletes to get them in the best position. And that sounds really simple, but there aren't many coaches that can do that. Patterson's a really smart defensive coach, and if even he acknowledges that Lincoln Riley knows how to arrange guys... That's not a good sign for TCU. Yeah. Uh, so I actually think that it's it's going to come down to Max Duggan versus the Sooners defense. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for some optimism. Because uh, okay. I will be optimistic about Mac Duggan, oh, Max yeah. Duggan all the day long. Um, so I mentioned that OU's offense is 43rd in defense, which would put them in the bottom the bottom third of Power 5 offenses. You think Power 5 is 1-66. to 66. 1 to 65? I don't know if we count BYU anymore. BYU's not. No, they're, they're out. Not. 1 to 65. Um, as, long as, we discount, as long as we can discount Notre Dame. <laughs> TCU's offense is uh, 54th overall. And so that's kind of hard to say. Like, what's the 54th offense versus the 30, uh, 43rd defense? One, it's physically hard to say, as you can see. Mm-hmm. But two, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of envision what's going on there. Um, what, is, what does that mean? So I just picked out some similar defenses. Defenses right around OU are Boise State, App State, Arizona State. They're they're four spots better in defense than Kansas State. Um, And then TCU's offense is similar to Cincinnati, Miami, Iowa, Wake Forest, UCLA. So my question is, who would you pick in a matchup between UCLA and App State? App State. Right. I uh, I think that if you factor in the offensive profiles... Then you think, hey, I, I think I think App State's defense is worse than UCLA's offense. And so I'm happy about that side of the equation. All I'm saying is that if you compare this to random schools, there's not really a lot you can tell there. Right. Um, there's not an obvious... I think in the past I've been able to say TCU's defense is better than... OU's off or oh, TCU's offense is better than OU's defense by more than TCU's defense is worse than OU's offense, and I can't you can't really do that right now. Right. It's a hundred percent going to come down to the offense can be good. It has moments of good, 
are they going to be able to do it against OU's defense? Yeah, um, I agree. That was a lot over my head, but that I was a lot. Uh, that was probably too much. No, 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 no. This is explain it to an idiot without a title. No, no, that was good. Uh, also, I'm biased because my dad spent a semester at Appalachian State. Uh, go Mountaineers, Boone, North Carolina. Go Mountaineers, man. The one thing I'll say about Oklahoma's defense, Kenneth Murray frightens me. Like when I go to sleep at night, I see Kenneth Murray in my head, in my nightmares. Uh, yeah, from Oklahoma, insane. You almost good. wished he played. You almost wish Brooks played last week, so yeah. that we got a little more practice on how to deal with an awesome linebacker because Murray is that caliber, if not if not 100%. better. Yeah, he he. So he only had five tackles against Texas. I thought he had fifteen. The man was <laughs> everywhere. He was stopping Ellinger from scrambling. He made so much of an impact in that game. I was wildly impressed by Kenneth Murray, and that was not statistically even close to his best game of the season. He's insanely good. So, 70 total tackles uh, on the year for, for yeah. Kenneth Murray, two and a half sacks, three passes defensed, which when you think about what a, what a, pa- a pass defensed is for a linebacker, uh, plus all those tackles, that's pretty versatile for him to be in a position to be in coverage and also make tackles. He's definitely kind of that prototypical TCU, yeah. uh, TCU linebacker, yeah. right? You, you're like, what? Why aren't you playing in this four two five? Right. Um, except he's you know a five star recruit with incredible he's athleticism. Really so he's so fast. Um, so I think that'll be interesting to see how we scheme kind of away from him because you'd definitely rather get in a dogfight with Oklahoma's corners mm-hmm. than you would their linebackers and safeties. Yeah, I mean, so. Um, Grayson Mulestein, if I remember correctly, stiff-armed a... Or was it Michael Collins? It was Michael Collins stiff-armed at Oklahoma Oh, it was, it was Michael Collins. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. Boo Rally Hines. <laughs> he stiff-armed <laughs> it the turf. I think I tweeted something like, when you transfer from uh, from from business school, just you could stiff-arm Boo Rally Hines into the ground mid-game. But then yeah. Oklahoma won by 30. But anyway, that's not the point. Um, <laughs> there is there are some jean short there are some jean short wearing OU fans in front of me yeah and um, they were being we were just all a little obnoxious it was 11 a.m. go to life happens and I kept reminding them pretty enthusiastically that Michael Collins was from the Ivy League oh yeah and uh, and we got close I think in the second quarter is like within two scores I don't know we obviously weren't going to win the game but these guys fell into my trap. Because when they pulled away, they turned around and they're like, where's your Ivy League now? And I was like, do you feel good about beating an Ivy League team? Like, why aren't you beating us by more? What's wrong with you? It was perfect. It was beautiful. They walked right into my trap. So um, that was important for us to know about the sure, preview sure, of the game. Sure, sure. Yeah, it was, uh, Michael Collins climbed down from his ivory tower at Penn to end uh, Bradley Hines' career. And then uh, Oklahoma won 52-27. to that's awesome. Yeah. That's like, uh, have you seen, uh, you know, you know, Parks and Rec? Oh, yeah. There's a late season episode where it's like Pawnee and Eagleton merger and they're talking about it mm-hmm. and they're playing the basketball game <laughs> and Chris Bosch plays, yeah. the, <laughs> he plays the basketball player and he like spikes this chubby little kid's ball and he stands over him and he's like, and I play French horn better than you, Eric. <laughs> That's what I thought about with Mike Collins is like stiff arm you and I went to business school. Yeah. So good. Uh, I'm so glad Mike Collins is not playing right now. Oh, God, I know. Well, I, I, listen, I like that guy. Everyone likes Mike Collins. I can't find anyone yes. that doesn't like Mike Collins. I love him as a backup. Yeah, yeah he's for good sure. Backup, good backup. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay, so let's – where are we on time? We're doing great. Yeah, we're doing so good. let's let's – Let's dive into let's dive into uh, kind of best case scenario and predictions, and then we'll answer some questions after the break, and then wrap up. So, um, how does how does TCU beat Oklahoma, Grant? What happens? TCU beats Oklahoma by forcing turnovers. Hurts isn't necessarily turnover prone, but he can make some mistakes. So let's say TCU forces 
let's get buck wild because TCU would need that to beat OU. And let's say TCU forces three interceptions. So that's set number one. Duggan doesn't throw any picks is set number two. And uh, I think Rager has to go off. I think this needs to be the Jalen Rager. Hey, man, I'm leaving after this year, but while I'm here, I'm going to burn a really quality team to the ground game. So if Duggan doesn't throw any interceptions, Jalen Rager goes off, and TCU's defense can make Jalen Hurts make mistakes, the Frogs can win this game. That's best case. I, Do I think that I, I agree. Look, That's a different question. Look, we've had we've had the Duggan game. Yeah. We've had the Darius Shawo game against Purdue where they just ran wild. Um, we've had the Tay Barber game. We've arguably had the Pro Wells game. We have not had the Jalen Rager game this year. It's time. Rent is due. We need it. Pay up. Um, okay, so yeah, I, I agree with that. I think uh, I was kind of thinking like, man, if TCU needed four interceptions to beat Texas, how many interceptions do they okay, need yeah, to beat Oklahoma? Six, but, but I was trying to be realistic at least. <laughs> I don't think I don't think TCU needed all of those. Um, so yeah, I think I think uh, you just need all the turnover luck you can get in your favor. Um, and this is this is going to be one of those classic. If they win, it's going to be one of those classic Patterson win by ones. You're going to be sitting on the edge of your seat, probably standing, maybe crying. OU's going to have the ball, and we're going to need something crazy to happen. But look. Darius Washington needs a signature moment. That could be. That could be it. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm not. I'm not saying it's happening like you, but I'm saying I could see a path to victory, just because when TCU's played well, they've looked really good, and maybe it all goes right. Who knows? Yeah. Now, look, the odds aren't in TCU's favor, but it's not an impossibility by any means. No, no. Like like we said, supremely beatable. Yeah. Um, okay, so. What do you think then? Give me your prediction. SP SP Plus has this by nineteen. They have it on the they have it the over. They think that frogs over every game. Um, what is your? I think the Vegas line is nineteen and a half. What's your prediction? Okay, so I still think Oklahoma is going to win, but I, I will take if you're giving me nineteen and a half, I'll take TCU um, for sure. I, I think it'll be Oklahoma's offense is very good, and there at, at some points is just going to be skill players making plays. Um, I do think TCU can force Hurts into maybe one. Call it two picks. Duggan will make some plays. Kenneth Murray again just frightens me. So, so, so let's say let's call it thirty-eight to twenty-seven, Oklahoma. Thirty-eight twenty-seven, Oklahoma. That okay. allows for TCU um, to kick two field goals in the red zone. So I feel good about that. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, and then touchdowns to Rager for the rest right, of them. That's right. great. Yeah. So OU has scored fewer than forty points in only two games. That was against oh, Texas, wow. which doesn't count. Texas was back at that time. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and then against Baylor last week. But to be fair, uh, they were <laughs> they were on pace for sixty-two in a whole game in the second half. So. Um, I think the line is, can TCU hold Hurts under 300 yards passing um, with him playing a whole game? And uh, I think OU's still going to score 30. I still think they're going to score, uh, or sorry, they're going to score 40. And I think that at least uh, TCU will be in the 30s. So give me something like OU 45, TCU 31. Cool. Let's take a little break real quick, and then we will come back and talk about um, some questions and answer some of those. Grant, okay, let's do uh, let's do rapid fire. Let's knock out a couple of questions real quick because we've got some on the internet. So um, 
I threw it out there in the ether, and um, I got a couple. Jamie made a joke about establishing the run today and told me to talk about it, and I'm not doing that because he can't fire me. Um, <laughs> Anthony North, uh, proprietor of um, the TCU Underdogs. Yeah. I think he does that yeah. regularly. And then also he does an awesome kind of eliminator challenge for uh, NCAA. He's got this spreadsheet. It's really awesome for basketball. I'm in third place, by the way. Oh, nice. For, uh, for the uh, underdogs, for underdogs no more. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know if it's too soon to get on, or too late to get on that, but you can definitely get on his NCAA basketball um, upcoming look at that site. Anthony asks us, is explosiveness a metric potentially subject to regression, or is it predictive of future performance? Can the TCUD limit OU's big plays, or are they built to remain explosive? I'm going to let you answer the second part, and I'll answer the first yeah, part. Yeah, so I think they are built to remain explosive. I do think, however, TCU's defense, if they are going to win this game, can limit the long drives, can limit the 10 or 11 play drives or OU's getting, you know, eight yards of play or whatever. I don't think that's something that any offense can reliably do against TCU, but I think plays – it'll be like the Texas Tech game where just sort of at a higher level, where CeeDee Lamb, if he plays, is going to break a 70-yard catch. Charleston Rambo is going to have a long catch as well. Kennedy uh, Brooks, right? Kennedy Brooks? I'm not losing my mind. Um, is going to have a long run. Jalen yeah. Hurts going to break a scramble, something like that. They will. There are too many good athletes. But the eight, you know, eight yards per play drives where it's, you know, just continues to be like a seven-yard run, seven-yard run, 11-yard pass, whatever. TCU can limit those. They just don't have enough athletes to stop Oklahoma's big plays. Definitely, and it's a function of, you know, uh, kind of answering the first part of that. Big plays are somewhat random. They're also somewhat a function of volume. So if, if there's a probabilistic element in getting a big play, getting an explosive play, um, well, I'm definitely going to get more explosive plays if I run 15 plays as opposed to if I run right. four. OU runs a ton of plays. They're going to have more explosive plays. The keys there are, um, one, bend, don't break. Um, and then two, also when you can get off the field, get off the freaking field. Uh, that's, that's the biggest thing. Baylor killed themselves last week because they could not get off the field on third down. Uh, and that's what let OU have those ridiculous drives and big plays are random, but the old saying, what is it? You you know, you make your own luck, but luck comes a lot easier if you have a lot of five-star athletes. So definitely. Definitely. That increases your probability. Uh, our friend Cameron Soren asks about Big 12 in light of the playoff committing rankings. Talked about that earlier. It, it makes uh, mad, John- I'll say that. And I think OU should be ahead of, say, Utah. And I'm high on Utah. So I don't I don't know why they put them there. But. Yeah, it feels a little bit contrarian. Um, John Newberry asks us, is there something that has statistically changed in Cumbie's play calling this year? Or are we seeing a continued trend of quarterbacks struggling in their first year of running his offense? Yes, John Newberry. Yes, both of those things. Um, well, I, I think has something statistically changed from last year. Yeah, we're running a lot more on okay. first on early downs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, is that a function no, uh, of him trusting? Sorry, because now I'm curious. Is that something of him trusting Darius and Shewo more, or is that him being tentative with working Duggan in the offense? I guess I should probably be the one to answer that or have an answer to that question, but. That's just interesting. No, no, no. It's, um, yeah, I, I, you would know it from the narrative side. This is an off-season. It's on my off-season board. Um, but I've, I've just peeked and, and looked and been like, hey, I'm not crazy. Something's weird. Uh, rushing a little more on early downs, that's definitely a function of freshman quarterback. That's definitely a function of great running backs um, and trusting them more. That's also a function of Gary wanting to be a little bit more involved in the offense, like he said, this off-season. And um, it's also a function of, I think for some of us, I think there was a lot of hype this offseason by a certain sect of the internet, 
And I bought into that hype that Matthew Baldwin was going to come in and start and Malcolm Kelly was going to come in and revolutionize this offense. And that was smoke. Uh, there was, there was no fire. Um, and so <laughs> even I didn't buy that one. Malcolm Kelly would have had just, to play wide receiver. For me I to wanted believe to believe, I wanted to believe, but yeah. So, uh, uh, to John, to answer your question, that's, that's an off season thing I'm looking at and I'm pretty interested in because, um, yes, I think it's changed a lot of that as freshman quarterback for, for sure. And I think something that we mentioned earlier, Say which one about Cumby. I would be interested to see what Duggan can do with another year with Cumby. That's not me opining either way. We'll opine in the offseason, but I, I do think it's interesting. But yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Bayou City Frog asked me a really long question. Oh, man. Uh, application of advanced stats in college football. So the application of stats gets tricky. There's a lot of value. I think value can be maximized in analyzing your opponents. Um, is there a way to statistically analyze your opponent in the same way it does when you watch hours and hours of tape, uh, but instead instinct, uh, you're measuring quantitatively? Really long question. I think that's people's life's work. I think that's something that you can't really answer. Um, I'm, I'm interested in that, and I do have a lot of thoughts on that. I don't know if they're best suited for, for this podcast right now, but I'll basically say um, you, can't, you can't only use stats. You can't only use film. I think uh, you need the eye test. Uh, basically what I'm saying is to analyze football, you need Grant and you need Parker. You can't just have one of right. them. Uh, and so I mean, we Parker's are practicing here, what we preach. Parker's over here slagging off DCU for putting up, you know, 549 yards total off. I hate everything. I hate everything. Um, gross. Okay. So, uh, two more. No, one more. Last question. This one was in the DMs because it was about a player and this person is wanted to remain anonymous because they were like, I'm not trying to tag yeah. a player or anything. Basically, they just said... Uh, Jalen Rager has housed one. He housed one against KU. What percent of punts has he called fair catch on? Seems like it's over 90%. Um, yeah, he put the ball on the ground a couple times. And so I think he's definitely being uh, cautioned to be more cautious. I think that he's he's also like in the top 10. Uh, I looked at this top 10 of average returns. So he's still doing good. I think it's just a little bit of like confirmation bias. TCU got spoiled with Jeremy Curley basically because he was a freak. And then also got we kept our optimism. Well, I was gonna I was gonna go through the narrative because we got okay. spoiled by Jeremy Curley, and then we cooled a little bit because we're like, oh no, Sky Dawson's really bad, and we keep putting him out there. And then Turpin comes in and blows the roof off. And we thought, nope, every TCU punt returner has to be the best one ever. They have to run into the house every time. And um, I think Rager's quietly being pretty smart about fair catches. Look, if you're across thirty five, uh, fair catch it, man. Like that's fine. I'm okay with that. It's fine. Um, so, so I think I think it's a little bit of just like being cautious. Also, that's a those are high probability plays for injury. Mm-hmm. So I don't want him. I don't want him to get hurt. I want him to be out there and be smart. And he shows that he can he can go off when he needs to. But I'm not I'm not yeah. like mad at his punt returning or anything right now. I think a lot of Rager. So this is not me hating on Jalen Rager at all. But I, I do think a lot of the portion of his punt return yardage came against Kansas and. There are special teams units that are better than Kansas. So, so fair catching isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, If he can just be, I'm sure he's more sure handed when he's not planning on running afterwards. If he can just feel the ball, get us in good field position, that's totally fine. Yeah, I agree. Be uh, be smart. He's actually he's actually second in. 
in average punt return yards. So, I mean, again, that's biased by Kansas game. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's why, yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about it. I just took, I'm an idiot. I took that for face value. I thought that was like every time he'd felt it. No, that's dumb. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's only when he chooses the return, yeah. So he he is very good. He's got to pick and choose, but yeah. I'll actually have to go look at that. Um, Okay, that's all. I didn't see any more questions. Um, Do you have any? No, I'm good. I I was planning on going to Oklahoma. I'm not going to be actually able to make it long story there that we don't need to go into the podcast, but... Uh, I'm very interested to see what happens. I think the first half, unlike the Baylor game, is actually going to be pretty predictive of how this game works out. So I'm kind of curious. Definitely. And uh, it'll be important for TC to keep it close with the whole Jeff Gladney. Because uh, sure. if he comes back in, I don't know. I could talk myself into yeah. that. Anyway, this has been... Uh, well, I'm going to have a guest here in a minute, so I'm not going to sign off. But uh, Grant, good talking to you. Yeah. This podcast is a disaster. I don't know why anyone listens to it. Follow us on Twitter, and we'll be back next week. See you, Parker. For some OU perspective on the TCU-Oklahoma matchup this weekend, I've got my uh, Twitter friend Nate Manzo on with me tonight. Nate is a um, statistician online. He, uh, you, you see him at, at CFBNate on Twitter. You probably know him from these awesome SP Plus visualizations where he plots offenses and defenses kind of next to each other and shows their, their differential um, in a really good way that helps you compare teams. So, Nate, excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Parker, thanks for having me. Um, okay, first things first. What a crazy game uh, OU had against Baylor last week. Again, from the OU perspective, kind of tell me about tell me about what happened in Waco this weekend. Um, I mean, it wasn't entirely surprising. I was going back and forth during the week before the game, thinking, you know, we should be good. Baylor's been a little bit inconsistent up till now, but then. Also, as the game got closer, I was definitely starting to feel a little bit more nervous, and you could feel the energy in Baylor and in, in, in Waco. It's a tough place to play. I've been I've been to a game there. I've watched us lose there. That's a tough place to play. And uh, OU's been really inconsistent up to this the last couple of weeks as well. So, you know, first half was uh, just uh, that what what could go wrong. Everything went wrong. Um, but then they were able to turn it around at halftime. I, it was it was one of those things where uh, kind of similar to K-State where they started to mount a comeback and it was like, oh, man, you don't want to get your hopes up because uh, just to let them be dashed at the end. And so <laughs> I was watching and and waiting for something to go wrong there at the end, but they were able to pull it out. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy. OU so comes out 40% success rate in the first quarter, 45% in the second quarter. Those are both uh, below national averages. And then in the third quarter, 71% success rate. That is punching a team in the mouth. Uh, I think I saw Baylor only ran 16 plays in the second half. Um, so just just kind of watching it and anecdotally or, or, or statistically from your point, what what changed in the second half? What was OU able to do that that kind of stopped how Baylor was beating them? How did they counteract the Baylor defense? So I think it was so the Baylor defense did a great job of taking away the big play, the big explosive play, which is kind of what you're used to seeing from Oklahoma and kind of what you know one of their calling cards is. They um, it forced them to really grind out uh, yards and, and they had to rely on a high success rate because they were not getting big plays. So it was just three, four, five yards at a time and uh, constantly converting third down to fourth downs and finding a way to stay on the field and make enough plays, enough little plays. 
uh, on offense. And then on defense, really, I, I, they really complemented each other because offense was able to eat up a lot of clock, um, kept the defense fresh in the second half, and then uh, the defense was able to keep Baylor really in check in the second half. Yeah, let's um let's talk about the defense for a second. So uh, OU is forty third in defense uh, according to SP Plus this season. Similar defenses to them: Boise State, App State, Arizona State. Uh, they're slightly better than Kansas State, a team TCU has, has faced and struggled with a little bit. Um, the addition of Alex Grinch to OU was was um, kind of advertised as a game changer, and you know he's a really smart defensive mind, and now he has a laboratory full of four and five stars to play with. How's, uh, how's that going with Alex Grinch? What's different about the OU defense this year than in past years? Well, I think the biggest thing you would see different from this year's defense to previous Mike Stoops defenses is uh, the level of aggressiveness on defense. Um, I think uh, a lot of the players talk about being able to play free, uh, being able to uh, go out and make plays instead of having to think too much. Uh, which is kind of what they were used to having to do in the past and be playing really, I would say, tentative defense under Mike Stoops. It's probably putting it nicely. But uh, so, yeah, much improved on defense, but still, I think Alex Grinch says uh, the terms that uh, they're still seeing ghosts sometimes. I think he's still fighting, like deprogramming that Mike Stoops style of coaching and some of the stuff that he had ingrained in these guys because you'll see them do really well for stretches and then sometimes the wheels just kind of fall apart. Uh, sometimes the, the kind of momentum gets away from them on defense and they all start to fly out of position and, and allow big plays. Definitely. I, I, I noticed that. Um, so o, uh, Oklahoma, according to uh, EPA per play, is the seventh uh, best defense in the Big 12 conference. So definitely on the lower half of things. What's interesting is that they're substantially better. They're, they're about a, a third of a point better on offense or excuse me, on third down than they are on first and second down, which is definitely a testament to that seeing ghosts getting fooled on per uh, first down, kind of allowing some things, but also being more aggressive. Um, that especially worries me because TCU, uh, their, their problem all season has been a little bit of a lack of creativity or deception on offense. And then also, as we saw last week, Texas tech blitzed and, uh, just kind of ruined TCU's afternoon. They were frogs were able to survive, but, um, that is definitely worrisome because those are kind of TCU's two things is uh, third down success and uh, OU is really, really good on third down and they're able to play really aggressively. So um, it'll be an interesting matchup for sure. Yeah, I think that those third downs will definitely be something to watch. In the games where we've struggled, it, it, it's been getting off the field on third downs. In general, in the season, we've done, we've done well. We've done much better than years past where – no matter what situation we got into third down, third and long was, you know, the, the offense had us right where we wanted us in, in years past, but um, definitely much improved this year. For sure. Um, tell me about uh, playmakers on the defensive side. What are a couple names TCU fans will be hearing um, and who, who should they be looking for? Who might TCU be scheming to get away from? Yeah, there's probably three guys on the defense. Um, I think starting up front, there's two guys on the defensive line that, um, will draw a lot of attention. It's Neville Gallimore, number 90. Uh, he's the nose guard. Uh, he's a real athletic guy. Um, he's uh, been able to cause a lot more havoc this year under Alex Grinch's scheme. Uh, then one of the defensive ends is number seven, Ronnie Perkins. I think he had three sacks against Baylor, so he was uh, probably our best player on defense against Baylor last week. 
And then the other guy that you'll hear a lot about is number nine, Kenneth Murray. He's the middle linebacker. He at times looks like a Butkus Award finalist, uh, which is not something we've, you've been able to say about an Oklahoma defender in, in recent years. But um, he at times will also struggle getting out of position and running over plays. So it, a lot of times when you see uh, a big run allowed by the Oklahoma defense, it's one of those two inside linebackers that gets out of position and and so they are a little bit susceptible to long runs um but those are the three main guys that you'll you'll be wanting to look out for definitely about about murray i um the only ou game i've watched all the way through this year is the the kansas state game and uh he and you can't blame him for this when kansas state was running like that fake pull where they kind of had the guard come and come back he just got he was on skates he got frozen which i would i mean I'm a, I'm a terrible football player. Of course I would. Uh, a lot of good players would be in the same situation. So that's not holding it against him. Um, sure. He does get, uh, he does get, as the kids say, a little bit hype. He kind of uh, over, over pursues when he's, when he's not thinking sometimes. So that's definitely something to watch uh, sure. as, as well. Cool. Okay. Let's, uh, let's flip to the other side of the ball. Um, the first thing I want to start with, with OU is that Oklahoma has nine players with at least a hundred passing yards this season. <laughs> I can believe that. That doesn't seem crazy to me for OU. That just seems crazy to me in like a cosmological uh, sense. So you're um, you followed OU football. Is mm-hmm. this Oklahoma's best offense? I I would not call it Oklahoma's best offense. It's uh, if I had to guess, I don't I I can't read Lincoln Riley's mind, but I, if I had to guess, this is not his preferred style of offense. But he's adapted to to Jalen Hurts' skill set. So you'll see a lot more quarterback run, quarterback power run, uh, a little bit reminiscent of like a Tim Tebow or a, a Colin Klein for Big 12 fans. Um, I think Jalen Hurts had 27 carries against Baylor. Like that's not something you would have seen in past years with Baker Mayfield or, or Kyler Murray. So um, I don't think it's his preferred style of offense. I would not call it his best offense, but I think the beauty of what Lincoln Riley has been able to do is still scheme to his talent and still allow Jalen Hurts to put up some crazy numbers and also spread the ball around to a, a, a bevy of talented players, receivers, H-backs, tight ends. You just see all, all sorts of guys and all sorts of different names show up on the stat sheet from game to game. And they are um, they are the the first offense offense overall in SP plus this season. Um, so that's most efficient and explosive kind of combined together, and uh, really really impressive. I did see um, the Tim Tebow uh, thing. This might have been something you retweeted. Is somebody comparing Tebow? Because I was like, man, I think I, uh, or maybe something you tweeted. I was like, man, I think I heard someone talking about Tebow and Jalen Hurts being the same person. But my my question then is, are most of these designed runs? Or are most of these Jalen Hurts seeing a complicated offense that he doesn't have a full offense or a full offseason to learn and saying, nah, I'm going to bail because I can probably outrun some guys? So are these more scrambles or more designed runs from Jalen Hurts? It's a combination, really. I, it's um, There is definitely a lot more design runs this year than in years past. Uh, but it's also Jalen uh, – I mean, he's he's improved tremendously as a passer going back to his freshman year at Alabama and and over time he's tr- improved tremendously. But he still he still gets a little bit happy feet back there, and there'll be mm-hmm. times where he'll bail on a play um, mm-hmm. a little bit earlier than he needs to, and so he'll he'll take off. And he, he's such a talented runner; it's hard to fault him for that because he'll still be able to pick up yards. But he's he's occasionally running a little bit more than he needs to. Um, but it's been effective for the most part. 
Yeah, it's it definitely got to be frustrating as a coach. I remember I coached high school baseball and uh, I had a guy who could, he was, on, he was on the track team and he could bunt and get a single every time. And I was like, look, I know you can do this against high school baseball pitchers, but you're really good and you could be amazing if you would learn how to slap a single and then get an extra base hit, you know, like, and that's the same thing with Jalen Jalen Hurts and Lincoln Riley. It's like, look, I know you can pull up and just go, but if you could pass it, that would make us even more, even more crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that was the that was the big thing that I was looking for from him this year, and he sh- he has shown it at times of being able to. As as an OU fan, you, there's several highlight clips of Baker Murray or uh, sorry Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray just hanging out in a clean pocket for five six seconds, just wait just waiting because they had tons of time and good offensive line play. You're not really seeing that kind of um, those kinds of plays from Jalen. He'll he'll hang out there for a little while. Um, but it's just really easy for him to drift off to his right anytime he feels a little bit of pressure and then kind of go make a play from there. Definitely. It'd be interesting to see, you know, I love these, these big 12 matchups with, as a TCU fan, cause we get best offense versus uh, I'll say historically best defense. Cause TCU's defense is not the best unit this season. Um, but so it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see that uh, Riley's offensive mind kind of with that. I won't say, I won't say handicap or limitation, but kind of that, adjustment to Jalen Hurts versus TCU's uh, 425 and Gary Patterson's defensive mind. It'll be an interesting matchup. Uh, when Hurts does stay in the pocket, when he gives the ball around, who is he passing the ball to? So his favorite receiver um, is uh, C.D. Lamb, and uh, he's our he's our Bolitnikoff finalist type of talent at, at wide receiver. He'll probably – he'll be – I mean, I've, I've seen mock draft stuff where he's a, a top ten type of NFL receiver uh, if he if he goes pro this year, which he, I mean, I would assume he will. Um, and, and he didn't play last. He didn't play against Baylor. Is that an injury reason? So it's a little bit unclear. Um, the official word from Lincoln Riley was a medical issue, and uh. that's some people to believe it was like a concussion protocol thing. But he was also on the field warming up before the Baylor game which is not something you would do if somebody's got a concussion protocol they haven't passed yet. So it's a little bit unclear. There's some other rumors that it might be something disciplinary related. Um, if I had to guess, I would see him back on the field. I would guess that he's going to be back on the field for TCU. Okay, that's that's the important thing. Yeah, my, my first thought is that means you failed a drug test. But, uh, okay, so that's the important thing. Lamb will be back this weekend because he's, he's, he's a pretty incredible we- uh, weapon. He has 983 receiving yards in one less game than everyone else uh, this season because he didn't play against Baylor, which is just absolutely insane. Averaging 22.3 yards per completion or per reception, 13 touchdowns from Lamb. Uh, the offense certainly can and does go through him. Uh, who who else? I think I cut you off a little bit there to ask about that. Who else is uh, well? On the I offense? mean. It really depends from game to game. I think Lee Morris was uh, our leading receiver against Baylor, um, but he probably had more catches in any game against Baylor than he has in his whole career. Um, the the other uh, big name you'll see a receiver is Charleston Rambo, number 14. Um, he's kind of filling in that uh, Hollywood Brown role from last year of kind of a uh, another deep threat speedy kind of guy. Um, you also get to see him coming around on on swing passes or end around type of plays. Um, he's a guy who can uh, who can really cover some ground in the open field. 
Um, and then tell me about the non-Hertz rush game. You know, OU's had some uh, historically great running backs. Um, they've also had some running backs who played a really, really great role on on good teams. What's the uh, what's the running back situation this season? So it's been a little weird, the running game situation, because Jalen Hurts has been our leading rusher on the year. I think he's run for over 900 yards on the year already. Um, so it's it's eaten into uh, the um, the production from the actual running backs. We're, we're running the ball, but it's the quarterback run instead of the, the running back run. Um, but when we do run the ball, it's Kennedy Brooks, especially now that Trey Sermon has, is out with an injury. So Kennedy, Kennedy Brooks, um, number 26, he'll carry uh, the ball. Uh, he'll carry the load from the running back position. Um, a talented guy, uh, big, fast, strong, physical, good balance, um, pretty well-rounded running back. Um, and then you'll also see Raymondre Stevenson, number 29, um, another really big dude, like 6'2", 240, who can run like a deer. Um, so those will be the two uh, guys that you'll see at the, at the running back position. Okay, I have to ask because I pulled up and looked at stats, and I saw that I have to ask you about this one rush because I think I know what the answer is, but I hope I'm wrong. So Ian McIver, offensive lineman for OGU, has one rush for negative one yards. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's not a recovered fumble showing up in the plays, but I'm asking you because maybe you remember the play and maybe it wasn't a recovered fumble. Has OU rushed an offensive lineman this year? I, 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 I don't think so. I don't know what that is. That's I, I, Ian McIver is not even a guy who plays much at all on the offensive line. So that's so no disappointing. That's probably a, that's probably just a blip. Then uh, I got so excited because I saw offensive lineman one rush negative one yards, uh, but evidently uh, it wasn't meant to be. No. Okay. Um, before we get into predictions, I do have one more, uh, a little bit silly question. Uh, yeah. OU's place kicker, 37 of 37 on extra points, 12 of 12 on field goals. He's made one from 50 plus. He's made one uh, from 40, or he's made two from 40 plus. His long is 50, and he has 73 points. Um, we at we at Stats War last year were big fans of Austin Siebert. He is uh, one of the most incredible kickers to play the college game. And uh, this guy looks pretty good. You'll notice I haven't said his name. I can't pronounce it. How do you say the Oklahoma kicker's name? It's it's Gabe Burkich. Burkich. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. I never would have got that in a million years. Uh, so now now we'll know. But just to highlight, OU special teams has been good. This is really a team with um, – if you had to pick a flaw, you'd say defense. But even that flaw is, um, is relatively small. So um, kind of interesting to see that just in all facets of the game, they're, you know, they're firing, which is pretty, yeah. uh, pretty impressive. They're, they're capable in, in all facets of the game, for sure. Now, the, their problem has been a little bit is inconsistency. But when, when they're firing all, on all cylinders, they can, they can hang with anybody. Awesome. So let's go ahead and um, let's, let's do best case scenario and then predictions. And then I'll, I'll finish up with a couple questions. So uh, speaking of firing on all cylinders, best case scenario, how does OU beat T uh, TCU this weekend? Uh, how does OU beat TCU this weekend? It, they're by playing their OU brand of football, uh, by making some big plays on offense, uh, being consistent and staying away from the negative plays, staying away from the turnovers. I think Jalen Hurts had three turnovers against a Baylor, so staying away from the turnovers. He's been a little bit fumble happy on the year as well. Um, so staying away from turnovers on offense, and then on defense, uh, 
keeping it simple and not letting uh, the quarterback run game and scramble extend too many drives. I think that would be something I'd be watching out for on defense. I, I love that you have respect for Max Duggan's legs. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Um, okay, so give me your prediction then. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, lo- low pressure. No one will, no will second-guess you. Put a score on it. What happens this weekend? Yeah, I mean, it, it could go any number of ways. I think TCU has been a little bit up and down this year, and o- OU has been a little bit up and down this year. Um, in the last three games for OU, it's been uh, – they've gotten really streaky. They've had um, good runs and then really bad runs of play. Um, if both the, the Iowa State game was a tale of two halves. The Baylor game was a tale of two halves. So if they can put two good halves together, you could see OU winning by – I could see OU winning by maybe 20 points. If they get into a situation where it's another – Good half, bad half. It could, I mean, it could be coming down to the wire. It could be TCU uh, winning in Norman. Uh, if I had to guess, I'd put put it somewhere in the middle there. I would say something like an OU 41, TCU 31. Nice. That was close to my, I, I had said earlier, I just got off, uh, the, off the line with my co-host and we, uh, I said, OU 45, TCU 31, but it's close at the end. You know, that's one of those OU punches in one more touchdown at the end that really kind of separates them. Um, all right. So I think I have, I think I have two more questions for you as we, uh, as we're talking here. So one, I want to get your thoughts about the college football playoff and yeah. specifically Oklahoma's ranking. I'm just going to toss that to you and let you talk about it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh I mean, you see a lot of people on uh, on Twitter complaining, a lot of people talking about, oh, you have more wins against the top 25 playoff teams than either Oregon or Utah. Uh, but I think it really comes down to uh, the game control and the consistency factor. Like the past few games, Oregon and Utah have been blowing people out. And you... Uh, Oklahoma has been struggling for three straight games and OU's OU's talented. OU could, I I mean, I wouldn't pick Oregon or Utah to beat Oklahoma if I, if, uh, if they were to be in a matchup, but I, I can't really fault uh, the playoff committee for putting Oklahoma where they have them right now. Interesting. That is one of the more uh, reasoned, reasoned and mild takes I've heard on it, which makes sense. One, uh, I think if OU wins, they'll, um, if OU wins out, they'll they'll probably make it. I don't see them getting left out because you know two of the Pac-12 teams, two of the SEC teams are going to have to take care of each other. Um, but yeah, it is. I do, I do wonder if OU is a little bit penalized because they have been so awesome uh, in the past that when they look just really really good, it it looks comparatively worse. You know? Sure, sure. And I, I think the other thing that OU is going to struggle might I mean have trouble with, which other people have called out is. You know, uh, Oregon and Utah will likely face each other in the uh, championship game for the Pac-12 uh, to uh, rank up a, a matchup of two top 10 teams, top seven or eight teams at that point. Um, OU, if things go according to plan, OU would be facing Baylor again. And they didn't get a big bump from beating Baylor last time. I don't know that they're going to get another a bump for beating Baylor again later. So. I don't know. I think this could be the year that OU is on the outside looking in. 
Interesting. And I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for, you know, we've been waiting since the playoffs started. It's like, why, when is this, when is this system going to break? And this year feels like the time when we have, you know, six or eight, one loss teams competing for two spots. So, um, okay. Along those lines, then tell me your four playoff teams. And I'm going to leave that open-ended because that can be the four teams you think are going to make it, the four teams you want to make it. Uh, I've had guests do the most fun four teams that are still alive for the playoff. So whatever whatever you think there, follow your heart. What are your four playoff teams? <laughs> I think I'll, I'll give you what I think is going to happen at this point. I think it's going to be – so right now, clearly to me, the, the three best teams in the country are LSU, Clemson, and Ohio State. Um there's not anybody else in the top 10 that I would pick to beat any of those teams, uh, including Oklahoma. Um, so I think it's definitely those three. I think it's going to be the pick, the Pac-12 champion is going to get that fourth spot. Awesome. Interesting. Uh, it'll be a shakeup to have the big Twi- the big 10 and the Pac-12 both back in the, uh, back in the playoff. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, Nate, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. This is great. Uh, some good perspective for uh, Oklahoma. People can find you on the internet. Tell me your Twitter name so I don't mess it up. CFB Nate. CFB N-A-T-E. CFB N-A-T-E. Um, that's, that's awesome, man. Uh, in, enjoy, enjoy your tweets and enjoy your graphs. Thanks so much for talking to me tonight, and uh, we'll see how this weekend goes. Yeah, thanks for having me, Parker.